Hi again, everyone, and welcome to episode 40 of Three Point Podcast. It's a trio of guys from mid-Michigan, three different generations, and triple the hot takes. I'm the baby boomer, Ted Patel of Sportsnet Michigan and Z92.5 Radio. On the phone is Jen Exer, Matt Burns of ESPN, and our millennial viewpoints coming from Jared Fattel of Fox 17 in Grand Rapids. Our sponsors include the Corona Public Schools, Rivals Tap House and Grill, the Corona Connection, and our podcast recording home, Z92.5 The Castle. We'll also be checking in a little later on with our favorite athletic supporter, Jack Strap. Thanks for all the support out there, everybody, in the comments to our Twitter site, at 3PointPod. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, and you can also find us on SoundCloud or TuneIn. Now, along with our normal look at the Lions, Wolverines, Spartans, and other national sports stories, we'll be checking in with broadcaster Josh Parcell. But uh, before we get too far along in the proceedings, Jared has had a chance now to cover a Michigan football game and last weekend Michigan State. What do you think? We all, I mean, we all watched the game. I don't want to get too much into the X's and O's here. But just when I got to MSU, and as I mentioned earlier, I did not have my phone all weekend. So I was running off of paper maps. First of all, where was, your phone, where was your phone? For, so apparently with the iPhone 7, they're running into a problem where they're not going to... I got to take it to the Apple store and get it fixed. <laughs> Basically, the hour trip that it should have taken, it took me about an hour 45. So, so I got there, and everyone... Let me just say this. Everyone at Michigan State was very nice. Every person I ran into was very accommodating. They gave me a couple free coffee coupons. Uh, it almost made me want to root for MSU. Almost. And then, so the game happens. And the one thing I do want to point out about the game, did you guys see uh, Lewerke's comments about his the, his interception he threw? No. He said it was clearly pass interference. And this is what I love about the media room. Every, when he said that in the media room, everyone was, like, nodding in agreement. And then oh, the, yeah. second he, at the second he exited... It was hell. Like, you, everyone was ripping him on Twitter. Everyone of the media group ripping him. And the guy, I think it was the guy who asked him the question, like, tweeted it out in kind of a sarcastic way, like, that it was not how it was. And let me just say that that just shows you what it's like for these players. Like, these, everyone in that room was 100% on, on, uh, hit side when he said that oh boy oh yeah they don't want to get blacklisted they don't want to you know challenge a coach or a player and then you know lose their access to the team i wanted to i wanted to puke when d'antonio was given his post-game presser he had a couple like sarcastic like jokes the room was dying the room would die at every joke he had (laughs) there was this one guy who i met there who i was like uh filming with and i'm not gonna i'm not i don't want to dox him so i'm not gonna say his name but, like, he was a big-time State fan. Every time D'Antonio made a joke, like, he would look at me and, like, laugh. And, you know, you, you guys know that Chris Paul meme where he, like, laughs, and then the second the guy turns away, yeah. he, like, completely goes straight-faced? That's what I was doing the whole time. He kept looking at me. Every time D'Antonio made a joke, that's what I would do. I wanted to puke in that media room. Everyone was loving it, eating it up, loving his jokes. I could not have been further. Now, did you I fire? I hated everything he was saying. Did you fire any questions at this presser? I did not. Uh, still very uh, rat new to the scene. I'm kind of the new guy there. It's it's a tough scene. I, I can't stress it enough. It, it'll 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 make it'll make the most confident men humble men in this place. Now I have another question for you, Jared. Did you meet the uh, in the press room? He I'm sure he was there covering it. Michigan State's biggest slappy Hondo Carpenter. I actually uh, I had a joke about that earlier. Uh, you know, I'm going to come back, put a pin in that question, and okay. I'm going to come back to that. Okay. I'll, put a pin, I'll put a pin on that one. We'll circle back around to that. <laughs> so after the game, so then we, I got out of MSU. Like I said, great experience. I will say this, it's just not quite as, like, 
It doesn't get you quite as amped up for a Michigan game. I, there's just some. I, I know people are going to call me just biased Michigan fan, but I think even state fans can agree that just when you're at the big house, it's just a whole nother level. Yeah, I mean, obviously the the stadium, you know, it's the big house, the amount of people there, but but yeah, that does it go back to the whole Mike Hart comment? <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to get into that. We don't need to get into that. And, and another thing that I was that I wanted to know. So I was out walking out. Michigan State had a whole like three tables worth of Chick Fil A catering. Just lined up, no one, no one around it. Now, I, a good Samaritan, I did not take any. None in but the I pocket. tell you what, I have never been more tempted to just snag a couple boxes of food before in my life. It was just yeah, sitting at that point. There. You may as well. I mean, if it's out there, it's for the taking, right? It was. Inc- it's amazing how many there, how much there was. It was like a ten million pounds of food. <laughs> like they really are. They eat like kings there. It's just incredible. You know how Jared's been dogging me about the shape I'm in. Watch him in about five years down the road. Matt. Oh yeah, once you start working in the media, I mean it it's tough. You I mean you probably already know from doing it for a few weeks, Jared. You're eating in the car, you're eating at weird times, you're always stopping for fast food or something. It, it's not a healthy lifestyle, that's yeah. for sure. It's like normally when I'm done, it's like usually like midnight. So I, I made a few trips to Steak and Shake. I'm a big Steak and Shake. What's your guys' thoughts on Steak and Shake? Steak and Shake is okay. Yeah, it's okay. I was going to ask you guys oh, about Chick Fil A. Come on, I like Chick Fil A. I mean, I think Chick Fil A chicken sandwiches are are the best sandwich in fast food. My my opinion. Yeah, right? it's good, but man, down here in, in Charlotte, like down in the south. People live and die by Chick-fil-A. Like, they act like it is a five-star restaurant. It's good. I agree. It, it is good. But some people, like, they, I mean, they eat it like it's a delicacy or something. It's amazing. So what is your favorite fast food joint? Like, just straight-up fast food? It might fast be Chick-fil-A. I, I mean, back in the day, like, when I was your age, I liked Taco Bell a lot. I can't eat Taco Bell that much anymore. Mm. It's, it's awful. But uh, I, I did just so eat a lot of Taco Bell. But it might be Chick-fil-A. There's this place down here. It, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take the nation by storm. Freddy's. I, I just had it. I don't Have either of you guys ever had Freddy's? No. Is it burgers? Oh, yeah. Yep. It's burgers, but it's like kind of like the In and Out style. Like they have the In and Out sauce, kind of, but it's like Freddy's sauce, mm. and they have uh, frozen custard. It's incredible. You'll have to try it when you guys come up here for <clears throat> a live three point podcast from Grand Valley State University. Sounds like a plan. I wish we could do it for the Grand Valley uh, Ferris football game this year, but I'm go- I'm going to be out of town. That'd be cool. Yeah. Well, I know, Dad, you became a grandpa number two, huh? That's two within, what, two or three months? Yeah, yeah. Well, the first one came June 24th. Parker, Virginia, was born on this last Wednesday uh, uh, to my daughter Jessica and her husband Tom. Just an outstanding day. Uh, absolutely healthy. The mom and, and her daughter are doing well. Eight pounds, six ounces, 19 and a half inches, and uh, a full head of dark black hair. Congratulations. Now, I mean, you go from having uh, no grandkids, no, none of that grandparent duty, to now it's just doubled up. It is, and I'm, we're already looking at our upcoming schedule, and it's going to be crazy. One's in Indianapolis, one's in the Detroit area. Uh, going to be a lot of traveling for this guy. I think I'm going to have to retire one of these days. <laughs> one of these days. Changes holidays a little bit, too. <laughs> oh, man, no doubt. Well, I was going to say, we've already kind of plotted for Christmas, because we always have a Fatal family get-together up at Frankenmuth. So the plan is... Uh, both daughters and uh, granddaughters are going to be at Frankmuth, and then uh, that night, that's a Saturday night, they're going to come over to our house, spend the night, and we'll have our Christmas celebration the next day. So it'll be the day before Christmas Eve. So it's going to work out pretty well this year. Oh. <laughs> you really are a grandpa. Wow. <laughs> well, it's a grandpa. <laughs> and it's, Christmas plan set up. It, it's a scheduling thing, too, Jared. I got a lot going on, brother. You know what it's like. Uh, yeah. 
man. Well, I know you should uh, you should start saving your pennies uh, for Christmas time because that's definitely going to change a little bit, huh, Ted? Oh my goodness, it's going to change, but that's okay. You know, any money that was earmarked for my wife's going to the grandbabies. There's no. I doubt think about you that. realize how kind too. of like you 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 really reached that point where you're like planning for Christmas like three months in advance. Like is that <laughs> kind of to. I think you is that to, kind Jared. of set in. Uh, that's what cracks me up. We'll know one of these days. <laughs> He knew it when he was saying it, what, what I was thinking. Speaking of saving pennies, and uh, I don't know if you guys saw what was trending a lot on Saturdays, especially during the Michigan game, and even on Sunday during NFL games. Do you see people like just going crazy about all the commercial breaks during the games? Yeah. What was up with that? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I noticed commercial breaks that ever since I started working in TV. I'm sure, Jared, it'll start happening to you. Like, I, I feel like I watch things differently, especially now that I produce games and put games on TV and stuff like that. But it was really funny. During, during the games on Saturday, we were doing some games for ESPNU and uh, SEC Network. And I'm watching Twitter when we have downtime, and people are just going crazy over commercial breaks. I hate commercial breaks. And just, I mean, Fox, they, they do run a lot of commercial breaks. But it's funny, like, seeing it from that angle, and then I'm behind the scenes producing games, putting games on TV, talking to the producers and, and the people at the site, and we're talking about all the commercial breaks that we have to run. You have an allotted number of commercial breaks that you have to run, um, promos and everything like that. So you want to burn breaks as early as possible, so if the game gets crazy at the end, then you don't have to worry about getting breaks in or getting promos in and stuff like that. So, I don't know, it was just, like, really interesting to be – Watching live on Twitter, seeing you know, like fans and people on their couch and everything like going crazy. Oh, I hate commercials, and I'm sitting here like planning, putting games on TV, like planning our commercial breaks. Is that so? Is that kind of what happened? Is like at the start of the game, there was a lot of like uh, punting, so it was just a lot of commercial breaks right at the right off the bat. And, the, and it was a Penn State Ohio State game where people had a lot of the problems, right, Matt? Yeah. Well, the, I I initially noticed it during the Michigan game, people going crazy because I was I was looking at Twitter a little more during the Michigan game. Uh, but yeah, during the Penn State Ohio State game too. People are going crazy, and yeah, I mean that's usually what it is. Like I said, you have you have a certain amount of breaks that you have to run promos because I mean advertisers they they pay for those breaks at certain times and everything. So yeah, if you have chances in the first second quarter to start burning some breaks, you're going to do it because if all of a sudden the fourth quarter comes around and it's just like the game of the century, instant classic, everything like that, you don't want to have to worry about man. We still got to get five more commercial breaks in. Do you know, Matt? Do they pay the same rate uh, for their for their uh, commercials? You know, minute wise, no matter where it runs in the game, or do they pay more premium times of the game? It's definitely it's it's more like game by game basis. But it is, like, they do pay more for anything, like, more per- prime time. So if a game starts at 3.30, right. you know it's going to spill into, you know, 7, 8 o'clock maybe. They will pay pay more for those that are later in the game because that's more prime time. Makes sense. Uh, but normally it's just, like, a game package. Mm-hmm. They'll pay X amount of dollars during the Michigan-Michigan State game to run, whatever, 10 ads during that game or something like that. Now, t- Ted, do you even watch uh, commercials anymore? I know you got a hard-on for your uh, DVR that you kind of – you you will purposely not watch it game just so you can dvr like the first half of it and then skip the no yeah right? i was going to ask you guys that question i mean it's, it's probably a generational thing but you're more into the social media the instant uh, gratification of twitter which when i'm watching a live a live game i do like following twitter especially at the commercials that's when there's a commercial on that's what i scan my twitter feed right i think yeah, exactly. I, I think most people do it that way but i also don't have a problem staying away from twitter and maybe starting the game a half hour in and then just watch Watching it and then catching up later, you know, and just going through all the commercials. I, I, I do tend to do that sometimes, especially if I already have a previous commitment and knew, no, I'm not going to be home in time to watch the very beginning. 
It doesn't take any of the pleasure of the game away from me. You know what I'm saying? It actually might even make it better if you can just, you know, yeah, stay away from Twitter so you don't know the score. But, right, then you can just bang through that first or second quarter quick. Right. Because I, and I, and I will say this. I enjoy Twitter, and I enjoy watching live sporting events and being able to check the comments and whatnot on Twitter. So it's a catch-22, really. For sure. How's that, Jared? Is that a good answer? Because I was going to ask you, like, are, do you weigh the pros and cons of not being able to get on Twitter? Like, because you know the saying, it's like it's America's sports bar now. Twitter. Yeah, I believe it. I did like that catch twenty two. That's a great vocabulary word. Oh boy, <laughs> it's got a lot to learn, Matt. All right, guys, that's enough for our, that segment there. But before we get to our special guest, I just want to tell everybody about the Corona Connection. That's a direct mail paper sent out to all of Corona Vernon and Shiawassee County parts of Lennon. Like them on Facebook, and you can view the entire Corona Connection paper online every month, both on Facebook and at coronaconnection.com. All right, guys, well, let's get to our guest for this week's podcast. His name is Josh Parcell. Uh, I met him working up at ESPN in Bristol. Uh, we used to hoop a little bit together, too. He can... He can make it rain from uh, from three-point land, but uh, he's got a radio show down here in Charlotte, North Carolina on WFNZ, and he's got his own podcast, CFB Country. Josh, what's going on? Thanks for joining us. What's up, man? How are you? I wish I could still shoot it like I used to, but, you know, as, as you get older, the shot starts to fade. I thought I would keep that up and just lose my vertical, but I never had a vertical to begin with anyway, so uh, now I just suck at basketball. <laughs> That's basically what I've tried to evolve my game into, just a spot-up shooter. Let's talk a little college football. Uh, I know you did a little preview show uh, going into the season, and our, our podcast, you know, we're based out of Michigan. We, we're all, uh, we, we bleed the maize and blue. We're Michigan fans, and, and you put Michigan in your top four, I believe. You know, 3-1 and one on the season right now. Do you still stick with that, or how do you feel about Michigan right now? Uh, they've, they've disappointed me a little bit, as I'm sure they have for you guys as well. Um, I thought Shea Patterson was going to have a bigger impact on this team. You know, in watching the Notre Dame game early on, I was really disappointed with the way they used him. Uh, I, I thought that you know, it's a guy that, that thrives in a spread offense. He's, he's got, you know, great mobility, live arm, uh, plays more of a wide-open style of game, which is not what Jim Harbaugh typically had. I mean, of course, even going back to Stanford, Harbaugh is the type of guy who's going to play two, three tight ends and you know, use the power running game to set up everything else in his offense. That just isn't what Patterson is. I think the best coaches are the guys who can adapt their system to their personnel. I thought Jim Harbaugh was going to do more of that, and quite honestly, I haven't seen as much as I would like. And then, man, I mean, I gave him the benefit of the doubt. It was one game, and while it eliminated their margin for error as far as the playoff race was concerned, I still thought that Michigan had a really good chance to contend in the Big Ten East. I still think that, but I'm losing confidence. I mean, to, to jump or let Northwestern rather jump out to a 17 nothing lead and have to fight and scratch and claw back against a, a Wildcats team that honestly, without its leading rusher, should not have been very difficult for Michigan. Uh, I expected more from the Wolverines. So I'm, I'm a little nervous about them right now. I, I think Ohio State looks really good. I actually think, I mean, Penn State looks a little better than I expected. I was down on them at the beginning of the year. So it's going to be a battle for Michigan. I'm not ready to write them off totally yet because I do buy the talent they have on the roster. And, of course, I still believe Harbaugh is a, is a good football coach. But uh, it's, I'm, a, I'm a little more concerned today than, let's say, I was a month ago. Well, let's give it a positive spin, Josh. Uh, Michigan under Harbaugh has not come back from a 17-point deficit at all, and and they did after that slow start, completely shut Northwestern down defensively and did come back and picked up the win. I mean, I, I think they got some positives to build on that. Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's 
certainly positive when you come out ahead, and, <laughs> and that's uh, that was the key for them to, to get right back on track. Because let's face it, they lose that game, their playoff chances are done. done. There's never been a two-loss team that's made the playoffs. I don't foresee that happening this year either. Uh, even if they were to run the table against a, a really difficult schedule down the stretch, I just don't know that that would have been enough. So, yeah, there were some positives to build on. The defense kind of figured it out. I really love what they've got on defense with Bush and, of course, Gary and some of those other guys. So, uh, it, it, of course, I mean, it's, it's positive momentum is a good thing, and they're going to need it because they've got a gauntlet coming up over the next eight weeks. Okay. Uh, before we go any further, I kind of feel like we need to address the elephant in the room here, Josh. So you're, you're a Virginia Tech fan, and I just have to know, what was it like in the 2012 Sugar Bowl losing to Brady Hoke? I just can't imagine <laughs> that feeling. Okay, okay. Now, I thought that we agreed not to bring that up on the told <laughs> about this. Uh not great, not great. But as you well know, Virginia Tech has had worse losses uh, as recently as two weeks ago. So, <laughs> Brady Hoke probably doesn't even rank in my top five most embarrassing losses to Hokey, which I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But, uh, yeah, I'll just stick with that. <laughs> to be honest, so- I, I, I love the win in the Sugar Bowl. That was awesome. I almost wish that Michigan would have lost that game because that just gave all of us Michigan fans such unrealistic expectations yeah. for Brady Hoke. And it all went downhill from there. We know that. But, uh, but yeah, you, you brought up the old Dominion loss that Virginia Tech had. Mm. And Virginia Tech, I mean, you guys, you were starting to make some noise and maybe, maybe get some, you know, some more talk around the country of a, a possible playoff berth. What do you see bigger picture? I mean, right now it's like Alabama and everyone else. But, but how do you think you see things shaking out with Notre Dame, with Ohio State, and everyone else? That's a really good question. And uh, the, the short answer is we have no idea, right? I mean, it, it always seems to surprise us. But... I'll say this. I think Ohio State is the most talented, most athletic team in the Big Ten, and I think they actually have the highest ceiling of anybody other than Alabama. And I don't know if anyone's going to be able to beat Alabama this year. They certainly look more dominant than they ever have. You, you pair it to a tug of Aloha with that defense and, and, of course, that coaching staff, and I'm, I'm buying into Alabama. But I think Ohio State has an outside shot because they have so much talent on that defense, especially the defensive line. Assuming they get Nick Bosa back healthy by the end of the season, he'll be ready to roll come playoff time. That's a dominant defense, great athletic secondary with Kendall Sheffield, Jeffrey Okuda, some of the other guys they've got back there. They've had great defensive backs for the last few seasons. I think that defense is, is capable of at least slowing Alabama down a little bit. And on the offensive side, they've got a quarterback who I think can test that Alabama secondary in Dwayne Haskins. And, Paris Campbell and, and some of those other guys at receiver have been Dixon and, and to name another one, but they've they've got weapons. And you know, I look at a team like Georgia, who is comparable to Alabama athletically as well. They don't have the quarterback I think that can beat Alabama. Now I know Jake Fromm came close a year ago, but I think that Dwayne Haskins is a little bit more of a uh, explosive game-breaking type of quarterback than Jake Fromm, who's a little bit more of a game manager. And I think the formula for beating Alabama most of the time is having an elite player at that quarterback position, and Dwayne Haskins, to me, is that guy. I was listening to your radio show uh, yesterday, actually, and I was really intrigued by this take. I'm not sure if I agree, so I want you to try to convince me why you feel this way. You said that you uh, did not like the NCAA rule that allowed Kelly Bryant to be able to play four games before he was transferring out of Clemson. You actually said that Clemson got screwed. Can, can you kind of explain why you think Clemson was the loser here? Yeah, so first of all, Kelly Bryant deciding to transfer after four games is perfectly reasonable because that's what the rules allow him to do. This is obviously is a new rule 
this season allows you to play in four games before transferring. This is not what the rule was intended to allow. The spirit of this rule from the beginning was to allow younger players, ideally freshmen, get onto the field for more meaningful snaps in that five-year span that they have for eligibility. And uh, what's happened now is you've got some older, more experienced players who just become disgruntled exploiting this loophole in the rule to take advantage of it. Now, having said that, I'm all for the freedom of movement for players. I'm all for them having control over their football lives and their career. And I applaud Kelly Bryant for doing what was best for him. But what I would rather see is players who have been in the program for three or four years, you have a pretty good idea of where you fall in the packing order on this team. And, yeah, some things may change a few weeks into the season, but if you've gotten through two, three, four years and you're still, you know, you're disgruntled or you're concerned about what your role might be, I think you should have to transfer before the season because Clemson is in a situation now, and we saw it play out on Saturday, and they were lucky to escape against Syracuse, where they had to play a quarterback in Chase Bryce, who, sure, he was a four-star quarterback. He had plenty of talent coming out of high school. The guy hasn't even gotten second-team reps in practice until three days before that Syracuse game. If Kelly Bryant had to transfer back in August, Chase Bryce would have been getting those second-team reps for the last five weeks. He would have played in games against Furman and Georgia Southern, probably even Georgia Tech, in games that Clemson won handily, and would have been much more prepared for what happened on Saturday. And that is what I think is unfair to the teammates that Kelly Bryant left, the other 84 scholarship guys, and anyone on that Clemson roster, and the program itself. Uh, I'm not. It, it was a selfish move by Kelly Bryant, but not in a negative sense. I applaud him for doing it, but it was a move that took care of Kelly Bryant's best interest without the interest of Clemson in mind. I think that the rule needs to be this. The rule needs to apply as far as the four games before you can have to redshirt. That should apply to freshmen, maybe even underclassmen. First two years on campus, you're allowed that rule. Once you get past that, you either transfer before the season or redshirt before the season, but if you play playing your eligibility is gone you don't get this four game grace period because you don't need it you don't need time to develop once you're a second or third year player this is meant to be an acclimation period for younger players and that's why i think it's tough on clemson because if this rule wasn't in place and we were back with the old system davos when would have named trevor lawrence the starter in august because he would have had to and Kelly Bryant would have transferred out then, which happened in plenty of other schools before. It would have happened in this case, too. You know, you bring up a good point about that he was able to transfer or able to, you know, leave the program according to the rules. But again, this is where my old man, old man mentality comes out. What the hell ever happened to uh, working harder and getting your job back, for God's sakes? <laughs> yeah, I, I buy into that, too. Um, it's, it's tricky. I think you have to use it on a case-by-case basis. I do agree with you that for the most part, there, there's a mentality with a lot of young athletes today that it's just easier to pick your bags up and leave and go find somewhere else where there's an easier path. I think that happens at a lot of places. And, and it's tough because you want to have that mentality. You want to preach that attitude. But you also want those kids who have a very limited window to make the most of their athletic career to be able to do so. And, and it's as difficult as that is, the one thing that didn't sit well with me that Kelly Bryant said when he announced that he was transferring is, well, I've done all the right things. I've, I've stayed out of trouble. Uh, I've been a great leader. I've been in good standing academically. All that's great. But this is a lesson for Kelly Bryant that just by being a good person doesn't mean that you get rewarded with everything that you want. And he's a young kid. I, I don't really want to criticize him for saying what he said. I think that this just 
showed me he needs to learn as he gets a little bit older that just because you do all the right things doesn't guarantee you that you're going to get the end result you're looking for. Now, I think good things happen to good people in the long run. It just might take you around a different path than you expect. And I think that's what's going to happen with Kelly Bryant. I think he needs to understand that, yes, he is a good person and has good character, but you know, talent wins out in this country in a lot of ways, and it certainly does on the football field. And in this case, he lost out to a guy that was just flat out more talented than he was at least in the eyes of the Clemson coaches. Yeah, I think we all know that, you know, Trevor Lawrence is he was the number one quarterback coming out of high school last year. So he he's got all the all the talent in the world and he's he's slated to start this Saturday. So he should be okay, which is a good thing. But the thing to me with the Kelly Bryant uh, situation was he had, I think it was like 18 starts under his belt, and, you know, he obviously had a ton of success. I'm surprised that he wouldn't just, you know, keep working hard this season, keep getting coached by a really good coaching staff, and obviously we know now that he would have had a chance to play this past Saturday against Syracuse, finish the year out, he might get some more chances to play, and get prepared for the combine. And might win a national championship. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think... First of all, this is what Clemson decided when they did, when they moved to Trevor Lawrence. They realized Kelly Bryant is no different than he was in 2017. Yeah. And in 2017, he was a fantastic player. He was limited as a thrower, and that was exposed against Alabama. He he was perfectly fine to win the ACC to go 12 and one. They didn't have a problem with that. The problem is the bar at Clemson is now national championships. Mm-hmm. And Kelly Bryant, he can't beat Alabama with his arm. And the coaching staff knew that at Clemson. And I think they saw Trevor Lawrence, who right now, let's face it, if they had to go out and win a game tomorrow, Kelly Bryant's a better fit and a better player than Trevor Lawrence. But what Clemson's banking on is that by January, Trevor Lawrence will have had enough experience and enough playing time and time to develop that he's going to be not only a better passer, but just a flat-out better player and, and more command of the offense than Kelly Bryant, which might give them a chance to beat Alabama. And, and as far as preparing for the combine and whatnot, uh, I, I buy into that a little bit, but I do think that it'll be interesting to see where Kelly Bryant goes. I mean, he's not going to play quarterback in the NFL, but I would imagine he wants to play quarterback in college one more year. I think he ends up at Arkansas with Chad Morris. But uh, I don't know. I, I, it depends on what his goals are. He hasn't really explained that or stated that. that you know, does he want to play quarterback at the next level? Does he want to you know, try to be the next Trey Burton and go play tight end or receiver? I mean, that worked out pretty well for him. You know, he was a quarterback at Florida for a hot minute. So uh, I don't know. It, that's an interesting point. I would have loved to see him stay at Clemson and just say, hey, I'll be the third-string quarterback, and if Trevor Lawrence breaks his leg and is out for the rest of the season, then maybe I'll reconsider. But uh, to just leave the team all together was kind of an interesting move in in itself. So we saw this week, Josh, uh, and it's something we're going to get into a little bit later in the show, but I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on it. So did you see Jimbo Fisher uh, ripping his player's uh, face mask? I did. Would you? Are you okay with that, or is that something that you think is kind of foul play? Yeah, I was actually really surprised that this became a big story. I saw it on Saturday. I saw a video of it. As you know, I'm following Twitter all day long, and I just kind of kept going. Like I kept scrolling down my feed. It didn't really, you know, gain my attention any more than anything else. And I was like, oh, you know, Jimbo got angry. And then all of a sudden there's this outrage over the play, and I or the moment, I should say. I understand that some people are not comfortable with physical contact between a coach and a player, and if it was the other way around and a player was grabbing a coach, people would have an issue with it. I'm not even saying that that's wrong. I, I, I can see the other side of this argument. To me, I've coached. I've been a, I've been a coach for basketball. I've coached football at, at the high school level. 
and I've never laid my hands on a player, nor will I ever. That's not how I coach. But let's look at it this way. Jimbo didn't injure him. He didn't put the player in harm's way. He didn't attack the player. And he didn't publicly humiliate or embarrass him either. He didn't say anything or do anything that was out of line to single this guy out other than for his actions and holding him accountable when he very nearly, this player whose name is escaping me, but the player almost got into an altercation after the play. It's an, football is an emotional game, and, and a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people who play it, or I'm sorry, who cover it, never played it at a level where they understand the type of emotions that, that go through your body. And, and it's easy to sit there and say, well, you should be able to use your words and, and not be physical, and I get it, and, and maybe they're right. But to me, using that you know, forceful grab of the player's face mask to gain his, his attention, it just wasn't that bad. I mean, if that's what we're going to you know, be critical of these days, I just think that that's, uh, there are more important battles to fight. And, and, the, and the player and the player's father came out after the game and said that they were okay with it too. If they're okay with it, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I was going to ask you something uh, something else that we're going to talk about later in the show. Uh, you, you brought up when we were talking about Kelly Bryant, uh, the limited window, I guess, that players have in their, their playing career. And this is this similar thing is going on in the NFL right now with a lot of these players holding out for better, bigger contracts, Earl Thomas, Le'Veon Bell, and some other guys. Uh, do you think it's similar to that? That's kind of why they're doing this, too. They're holding out because they know that their window is very small to get those big contracts. And then to piggyback off of that, how do you feel about the Earl Thomas situation that happened on Sunday? Yeah, I think the players are getting smarter and smarter. And you know, the representation is getting better and better. And they realize how valuable their, their health is and, and that limited window that they have for their career. I mean, football players at the college or especially professional level, they have a shorter lifespan than just about any other pro athlete. It it is so difficult to stay healthy, to get to that second contract and and make the truly, truly life-changing, securing money that that these players are after. And um, whether it's at the college level or at the professional level, I mean, these players need to take care of themselves. We're going to see this only get exacerbated in the coming years, but you've already seen – players skipping bowl games and it creating this big controversy about commitment to the team versus securing yourself. Again, as somebody who's been a coach before, I normally am a big proponent of, you know, put the team first, put it before your own interest. But if you're a guy who's got, you know, millions of dollars at stake or a future pro career and you want to you want to make sure that you take care of yourself in that way, so be it. I, I can't fault anyone for that. If I was in the position where someone said, hey, you know, you've got millions of dollars potentially here, and, and you risk losing a large tor- portion of that by by playing in a game or, or, or riding the bench for this team. You, you could put that at risk. Uh, I would do whatever gets me the most money, too. Maybe that's just me, but I think that's okay. As far as Earl Thomas, kind of along those lines, I think he shouldn't have played. I mean, I applaud him for wanting to, to, to get out there and, and play for the Seahawks, do whatever it took to, to be on the field on Sundays. I know that if he had any even a hangnail, he was taking he was sitting out of practice. Uh, but this this is the risk that you take, and I wasn't a big fan of the middle finger. I'll be, I'll be honest, but I get it. I, I get why he's frustrated. I get the emotion of it. To me, I, I just just don't play. Do what Le'Veon Bell's doing. Protect your long term, you know, assets, your long term future and security. And I know it's frustrating. You're a competitive guy. You want to be out on the field. But if if this is you know what's truly important to you, and you feel like you deserve you know, a better contract or, or more security, then you've got to stick to your guns as hard as that may be. And, and unfortunately, Earl Thomas paid the price for that, which I feel bad for him, but that's, that's the way it is. You know, uh, and again, I'm the old school guy, and, and I understand 
you know, these players wanting to make the most while they can. But again, you know, what we're dealing with nowadays, it definitely has put a spin on things. I mean, back to college football for a minute. Isn't college football, you know, when you have the bowl games, throw out the playoffs, but when you have the bowl games, it's just tremendously disappointing for fans to see the best player on the team sitting out that bowl game. Now, maybe bowl games have become irrelevant, and maybe college football needs to go that extra step and add more playoff rounds, right? But uh, what is your what's your overall viewpoint of college football right now? Is it is it at an all time high? Do they have all kinds of problems? What's your viewpoint? Uh, I would say you, you might as well call it an all time high. I mean, I think college football has been extraordinarily popular for the last few years, and you, you talk about having a dynasty in Alabama. I say what you want. Dynasties are always a good thing. It, I know people complain about lack of parity, but people tune in. Is it really good and, in college football with a four-game playoff when you have the same four or five teams playing for that national championship? I get that, and which is why I would actually open it to eight, because if you look at the teams that typically filter that uh, populate that five through ten sort of ranking in the last years, it's been a bunch of different characters. So uh-huh. I think you open up yourself to a little variety. And by the way, Let's not forget that out of the last four years when we've had this playoff, the number four seed has won twice. <laughs> and each of those two years, it was pretty controversial when they got in. There were a lot of people who wanted TCU or Baylor to get in over Ohio State in 2014. There were a lot of people who didn't want to see Alabama make the playoff last year when they didn't even win their own division. Yet they got in and they won the title. What does that tell you? That tells you that a team on paper that barely made it into the playoff is capable of winning at all. Are you trying to tell me that the team that most people, or some people at least, thought deserved that spot more than them couldn't win at all? There's more than four teams that can win the national championship. And I, I think that, that eight is absolutely the right number, not to mention the fact you've got five power conferences which you claim to be superior to the rest, and you don't even give each of those teams, that you, or those champions rather, a chance to make the playoffs. These conferences aren't created equal. I mean, one year a team might run roughshod through you know, an easier Power 5 conference and go undefeated, but might not even be as good as a one-loss team that didn't win a much tougher conference. It's just, it's it's imbalanced and it's unfair for, for a variety of reasons. And kind of along those lines, I use that same philosophy that I'm going to apply to, you know, your idea about the, the players playing in bowl games and it being fair to the fans. <laughs> Call me crazy, but I'm actually more concerned with what's fair to the players than I am for what's fair to the fans. And if the fans want to complain about a worse product on the field or a worse matchup or not seeing a certain player, at the end of the day, what's more important? The guy who's got you know money on the line or who has put in years on, on end worth of work to get to whatever point he's at, I'm more concerned with him than I am with whoever it is that's sitting down on their couch flipping on their television to watch a game. I mean, that to me just it feels disingenuous if I'm more concerned with my entertainment than I am with um, the work and, and having the respect for what those guys do on a day-to-day basis. We recently remember that with Michigan with uh, a couple years ago, Jabril Peppers, he set out the, the bowl game, but then Jake yep. Butt played and blew his knee out in the bowl game. So so that's kind of a real-life situation that, you know, if Jake Butt would have sat out, who knows how his career would have shaken out. Sure. He recently, he tore his other ACL uh, a couple weeks ago. So, so yeah, I mean, that that's the, I guess, real-life situation. But I, I think we're all on board with eight teams is better for the playoff. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it really is. And, I mean, I just pretty much gave my, my soapbox there, and that's what I think. <laughs> but it would be more fun. You know, when they went to four – a few years ago, people said, well, it's going to devalue the regular season and, and this is going to make the product worse. Guess what? 
it did devalue the regular season, and no one noticed. Right. I mean, you talk about a team like Wisconsin a couple weeks ago loses to BYU, okay? Under the old system, when we had just two teams playing for the national championship, there was no playoff, Wisconsin is done. I mean, they are, they are going to need a lot of help to end the year ranked number one or number two, and now they got a shot. They have a much better chance, mathematically, they got a better chance to be in the top four than, of course, they do in the top two. So that loss to BYU is not nearly as crippling as it would have been under the old system. So it did devalue the importance of winning every game, but what it didn't do is it didn't diminish the entertainment value of the sport. People still watch it just like they did before. People are still thrilled by the upsets. It's, I mean, it's why it's how Clemson can lose to Syracuse or Pitt and still play for a national championship. I mean, that's it, it's changed the regular season, but it hasn't made it worse. Or how so, Virginia Tech can lose to Old Dominion and still have a chance at the national title. <laughs> there we go. See, you, exactly. This is a, a wild question, but so there's a video on your Instagram of your <laughs> grandma making a beer pong shot. Uh, I just, I just want to know: was she actually your partner? Was this the first try? And before you answer. It, this is a trust tree here. Like, if this video took, like, five or ten tries and it was basically just for the gram, uh, I understand. It was 100% real. You know, the haters are going to say it was fake. <laughs> it was the first try. Now, I don't remember if she knew we were recording. Um, I will say that. I don't think that this was orchestrated or planned. We might have been recording for multiple shots, but... Mm-hmm. She was legit. That was my uh, actually ex girlfriend now, but my uh, girlfriend at the time's grandma, and she uh, she nailed it. She was uh, she was an active participant in the in the game. She was uh, she was a great distractor on the other end of the table. She bought into the whole the whole pageantry of beer pong. No, it was uh, that was a blast. And no, it was a hundred percent real, not doctored. And uh, you can check the tape on that. This is something I've been kind of thinking about. Do you think that Buzz Williams, like, he's not as good as the co- uh, of a coach anymore as he was at Marquette because he has hair now? He doesn't have the buzz cut anymore? You know, I actually think he's a better coach uh, than he was at Marquette. I know, you know, he made all those elite eights and whatever, but look, I think he pulls off the hair look well. I mean, if you look at him back when he was bald, I'll, I'll be honest, that was a, a rough, rough look for him. I'm a big Buzz Williams fan, but... He looked kind of like that Butterbean guy, that old <laughs> that used to go on Sports yeah. Center all the time. I don't even know if he ever won a boxing match, but that was kind of what he looked like. Now, you know, looks a little more distinguished now. I think if I was a player, I'd probably take him a little more seriously. Look, the real the real question is if Buzz Williams can ever make it through a game without having to change shirts at, at halftime. I mean, that, that guy sweats. Yeah. If you could put him and Sean Miller in a sauna, I think they could uh, – shed about 50 pounds collectively in 10 minutes. Those guys are sweating like crazy. So uh, That's what I was going to no, say. Why does he even wear a suit jacket? He may as well just start off with a shirt on. Tank top. Yeah, just just know know your role. Just understand your <laughs> limits and, and, and go from there. So I'm a fan of Buzz's hair. Um, I, I, I like the look, but it is weird to go back. If you look at, at video of him from 10 years ago, it doesn't even look like the same guy. No. Well, hey, Josh, yeah, we appreciate it. We'll have to check in again maybe down down the road when it gets closer to the playoffs. Of course, that was a blast. Would happy be happy to talk to you guys anytime. Well, I don't know about you guys, but uh, that kind of got me fired up for a little more fo- or, uh, college football. I didn't, I didn't like uh, him talking down on the, the Wolverines a little bit, but but rightfully so. They they deserve some criticism. That was a great interview. The one thing I really wanted to get to, Matt, I saw on his Instagram, he has met my favorite rapper, Little Dicky. And Matt, <laughs> let me just ask this first off. I'm not sure what our demographic is for listeners, really. Matt or, uh, Ted, do you even know who Little Dicky is? Uh, other than what I see in the morning when I go to the bathroom, no. 
<laughs> oh, and then there was this is also kind of a question I was workshopping, but I didn't really I, I, I ended up scrapping it last second. On LinkedIn, like he was like he's like a fitness trainer as well. Like he's like super jacked. And I was gonna ask if he had any advice. Uh and then I was gonna kinda like cough, cough, like, you know, want maybe one of our members could use some fitness advice. Oh, here he goes again. But I didn't I didn't ask it, so that's not on the record. So you can't hold it. You can't uh fault me for that. All right. Well listen definitely we'll definitely have to have him back on to talk about uh Lil Dicky. I do see I, I looked it up real quick. Uh, on the 9th of October, Tuesday the 9th, Lil Dicky's performing in Wayne County in Michigan. There you go, Jared. See, now let my comment to that, where the heck is, like, Wayne County? Like, <laughs> right area. I, 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 I'm a Google Maps guy. Well, we have some more stuff we're obviously going to get into here, but before we do, I want to tell our listeners again about one of our great sponsors, Rivals Tap House and Grill. That's the spot to meet up with all your friends here in mid-Michigan, catch your favorite sporting events on their 21 TVs, great food, drink specials, awesome burgers. That's Rivals Tap House and Grill located on the corner of Shiawassee at M21 in Corona. Well, guys, how do we want to wrap this up? There's a lot of other things we want to get into. This is kind of, I wanted to make this point right right now. So we were talking to Josh about Jimbo Fisher, and I'm I don't know what side you guys like. As a millennial, you thought I was gonna be like a crybaby about this topic, but let me just use this as an example. So Ted, as we know, you were clotheslined when you were in high school. Yes, and you were better for it. <laughs> it toughened you up. I'm it glad it straightened you out. Yep. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, who knows where you would be without that smackdown? Would you be dead? <laughs> well, I was going to say, clotheslined like, in a where... game by another player, or you were clotheslined by a coach? No, I was clotheslined by uh, Dick Moffat in practice one day, just trying to show me how to, you know, be a defensive back. And uh, back in those days, you could you could clothesline people, and he just got the biggest kick out of it. Yeah, he got physical with me, but like you said, Jared, I uh, it, it didn't affect my life in any way at all. And this is where this is where it loops back in. Here's the loop that I set up earlier that I teased earlier in the show. If that doesn't happen, are you dead? Are you Hondo Carpenter's bitch right now? Are you his uh, color commentary guy? Who knows? Yeah. If that doesn't happen, who knows the guy you would have turned out to be? God, shoot me now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, where do you guys stand on that? I mean, you know, obviously Jimbo got a lot of criticism for what, how he acted. I mean, anyone that didn't see it, he a player kind of almost got into a tussle. Jimbo Fisher grabbed his face mask, shook him, and kind of tell them the shaping up basically is what happened you know i don't know where you guys stand i you know we can talk about our experiences growing up i i definitely remember seeing coaches getting guys faces and you know grab face mask and yell at them you know do a little shoving nothing like too crazy but i do feel like back in the day probably more ted's day it was it kind of like started to taper off more physical during ted's day that you know mine still was but maybe not as much and i'm curious to hear like if jared if guys were still you know, coaches were getting in guys' faces that, that what you remember, because I guess to me, like, when I look at, when I see what Jimbo did, you know, he, he it wasn't out of line. I'm not going to say, like, he was abusing the kid, but there is a side to me that just thinks it's not necessary. You know, you can you can yell and scream and, and do everything like that and coach however you want, but sometimes I just think, like, why do you have to get physical with the player? That That's, the, that's where the line is to me sometimes. I think, it, so, yeah, I have some experience with this. So when, in high school, I won't name any names, there was a coach who actually, so he was taught, he was given a speech before a game, and one of the players, uh, uh, I'm not going to name names, but it was one of the screwball players, <laughs> real big screwball, scrub. He said, like, he was talking in the middle of the coach's speech, and the coach said his name, and then he said, I will punch you, and I might have to put a bleep on this or exit this part out. He said, I'll punch you in the f-ing face because of that comment. He was, like, suspended for a practice. And this is kind of the part where I think, although times have changed, I think it really 
depends on like so say that you're just you're a legendary coach who has a million wins under his belt like you can kind of get away with anything i feel like but if you're a lose like if you if you're in the middle of a losing season where momentum is kind of down and the team's kind of you know just disheveled like if you do something like that like something you, you're gonna face repercussions i think and that's where i feel like jimbo fisher is not going to get too much but if a coach who was like on the hot seat did this like it would be big time news yeah and I, from where i sit I 100% agree with Matt's take on it. I really, when I first looked at it, I thought, really, I prefer coaches not to do that. But I don't think it's a big deal either, you know, especially since the player and the player's parents didn't care. I would prefer Jimbo Fisher or any coach doesn't grab somebody in a football game that's on national TV and berate them and grab their face mask or do anything physical with them. I don't mind fiery coaches throwing their headsets down, getting on the referees. But when they start grabbing a player, I'd prefer they didn't do that. But in this case, whether it's Jimbo Fisher or even somebody without his kind of clout, I don't think it's that big a deal. Yeah, I mean, he didn't throw the kid to the ground. He didn't punch. He didn't do anything like that. So that's where, like, sometimes it, these things do get blown out of proportion a little bit. But I, Booger McFarland, he's a, he's an analyst. He's, well, Monday Night Football now, but for uh, ESPN. And he, he played, he had Rod Marinelli as a defensive coordinator who, I mean, us Lions fans, we don't have good memories of Rod Marinelli as a head coach, but he's a great defensive coordinator. And Booger said that Rod Marinelli is one of the toughest coaches he ever played for. He's hard on his players. He expects a lot. He demands a lot out of his players. But not once had he ever seen Rod Marinelli get physical with another player. He might yell. He might scream. He might coach that way. But there is a line. There's, you know, sometimes you can do that stuff, and you don't need to get physical right. with the players, especially in college, because I feel like you know NFL. NFL players are grown men. I mean, they they might fight back. I mean, they're they're not going to take anything from coaches. But college players, you know, they're younger. They're young men. And sometimes I think these coaches abuse their power, and they think that they can just do whatever they want, and these players don't have any, you know, don't have any power themselves to like retaliate or fight back. I mean, if a coach is going to like do that to you and throw you to the ground, you should be able to stand up for yourself. Yeah, but I will say, like, it's just times have changed, though, and, and I know that's kind of like cliche, but I remember just, a, and this was even like four or five years ago. I think it was uh, Tony Nice's like first year at Ferris. Right. During a halftime speech, he like slapped a player on the shoulder pads, and he had to. I don't know if he was suspended for a game or if it was like a, a half or a practice, just for like slapping a player on the shoulder pad. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely times have changed, and you know, it's preferred not to get physical. Let's put it that way. I think we all agree with that, don't we? Yeah. Do you think that it? But being physical, do you think that it can get like your point across? Like, do you think it can be effective? It can be, but it also could get you cold cocked. I mean, seriously, player could just lose complete control and pop that coach that hits him. Say the coach was yelling at a player, and all of a sudden a player like held back and, like you said, punched the coach, or even just shoved him or did something like that, like get out of my face or something. Oh, the player would try to be kicked off the team, might lose right. a scholarship and everything like that. So, so it's not a level playing field. Here's a segue for you. I have a bigger problem with James Franklin calling a run on fourth and five. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys see the video that came out after that? I mean, we could talk about the play, but uh, did you guys see the video from the, the crowd after that game? No. What did they do? No, they Franklin was walking off the field, you know, through the tunnel. He has his security around him. And the student section is right there next to the tunnel where Penn State walks out. And there's a player. It's hilarious. The player is flat out. He's calm. He is just dead serious. And he's, He's yelling at uh, Franklin, but like I said, he's calm, and he's saying, terrible play call, coach. Running on fourth and five, taking it out of Trace McSorley's hand, that was a terrible play call, terrible. And Franklin said something like, you know, sorry, I let you down. And then the player kind of kept going. Like he said, like, I, I still love you, coach, but terrible play call. Franklin off and 
started to go after the, the fan. He, he got pissed off, and he turned like he was going to run and fight the fan, and a security guard had to hold him back. Wow. Well, I watched, I watched his press conference, or the presser right afterwards, him answering, and, man, he's, I don't know. He, he just seems to me like a glorified cheerleader. How, how do you come up with that? Okay. A lot of people are starting to say that about James Franklin. He's a hell of a recruiter. He's obviously built Penn State back up to one of the best programs. <laughs> But he, he collapses a lot of times in these big games. And, you know, I mean, he's won a Big Ten, so he has won a lot of big games, too. But well, can you imagine I mean, if, that, was, that was a terrible call. Can you imagine if Harbaugh came up with that call against Ohio State? Oh, my God. It, it's, I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Like, I feel like there's a lot of times where that call, I mean, you you got to think that some way, somehow, like, they would have been able to catch him off guard. It was like the two timeouts that kind of threw me for a loop. Like, Risk just, against reward, man. I that don't just know. shows. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, maybe big games or whatever, I mean, we talked about it with with Josh. Michigan came back against North Northwestern. You know, what what did you guys really think about that? Did you you know do you put anything into it? They let Northwestern jump out, but they did mount a good comeback, like you said, Ted, when we were talking to Josh. Is it just another win, or like is that actually a growing moment? I was going to give Jared some credit there, calling it as a Thank true you. trap game. I mean, it really was. I mean, after I had after I thought about it, and I know it sounds like it's hindsight twenty twenty again by giving you credit, but I should have known better than saying they were going to win by twenty eight. I don't know what the hell I was thinking, you know. And I thought Northwestern came out ready to play, despite not having their best running back. They played a good game. They have a great coach. They were fired up. They were at home, and I do look at that game. Sitting here now, just like I said with Josh, uh, that's that's a positive. I think Michigan coming back from a 17-0 deficit and figuring out a way to win. Shea Patterson came up with some huge plays in the clutch. Uh, you know, defensively they completely completely shut them down in the second half, and they got Maryland coming up. I mean, I think they can continue to roll and get ready for these marquee games left on the schedule. See, this is where I wonder. Um... Just if am I just like a blind Michigan fan? Because I agree, I kind of had the same feeling where the fact that we got out of there with a win, it was a positive. Although I probably should be like, if I wasn't a Michigan fan, I feel like I'd be looking at this like, wow, Northwesterners one and two, now one and three. They just lost their star running back. Like, how can you look at this as a positive in any way? And that's kind of where I'm just, it's like I'm battling with my own brain on that. Well, like, the, I know it's dumb to think that, but that's how I'm, I'm no, thinking it's a positive. No, it was a true trap game. They had nothing to lose. They had the big Michigan blue coming into town, you know. Nobody thinks Northwestern's going to win. And, you know, Matt, I know we talked about bulletin board material, but you don't think that Fitzgerald built that up as nobody thinks we can win this game, boys, blah, 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 blah. For sure. Yeah, and I think... I think it like to the trap game point. I mean, they were coming off a bye, so I think you know Jared on the last pod you talked about that they would maybe rally around their star running back that got hurt. And coming off a bye, I think some people were pointing out at the beginning of the game, the Northwestern's offense was running some different plays. So you know they were prepared and maybe caught Michigan off guard a little bit. But Don Brown, man, the defensive coordinator for Michigan, he is just he earns every bit of that big contract he has because. He makes adjustments better than anyone in the country, I think. I mean, they, they after those first few drives of the first quarter or whatever, they basically shut Northwestern down. The thing that, that worries me about it, though, I will say this, and and you made a great point about Dr. Blitz. I love him. I love Chase Winovich. I've been loving watching Chase Winovich play this year. Yeah, but, like, the fact that Jim Harbaugh came out and said, like, they were just flat out out, like, game plan, like, at the start of the game, like, it's not like just that. May, that makes me cringe because I think of all the times that MSU has done that to us, where it just kind of had the same sort of thing where they jumped us out the gate. Yeah. And I just know D'Antonio. I see the story playing out. D'Antonio, we go into MSU, and it's the same sort of game, but we just never quite 
come all the way back around and win. Well, that's what they have to prepare against. They've got to come out of the gate in those big games. Couldn't agree with you more. Is, is it bad that my brain always just thinks of MSU? <laughs> I, th- I really do think, like, these these next couple games, like this game, we kind of uh, uh, off week this week where we play Maryland. But, I mean, they're kind of scary, whereas I kind of think that could be a scary one as well, sort of like Northwestern. But then we play Wisconsin. And if we can just escape these two go- two games, like, if just find a way to win these two games, I really like how we're looking this for the rest of the year. They're too like I mean Wisconsin's gonna be a tough task. It's a night game at Michigan, but I don't know. Just we gotta find a way to get these two wins and then get to the Michigan State game with only one loss. That's just all I ask. Get to the Michigan State game with one loss. Go blue. All right, guys. Next up, let's see what's going on again with our pod's oldest athletic supporter, Jack Strap. Matt, Fred, Jerry, how you doing tonight? Hey, guys, I'd like to start out with uh, two football stories that occurred over the weekend that grabbed my attention. Speaking of grabbing, I'll begin by commenting on the topic of Texas A&M coach Jumbo Elliott, who grabbed his player's face mask in order to get his attention this past Saturday at Arkansas. Now, guys, I'm old school, as you know, and and I'm old to boot, but uh, I don't really have a problem with it. Uh, but then, like I say, I'm an old man and, you know, I'm accustomed to hard guys like Newt Rockney and Bobby Knight choking his players and Lou Holtz grabbing face mask and, of course, you know, Woody Hayes tackling the opposing player. But, uh, you know, they're all guilty of grabbing a player, which we know is not acceptable in 2018. A lot of things aren't acceptable in 2018, which is probably better that I spend a lot of time in my house, guys, but... Hey, uh, listen, guys, you know, if you're Baker Mayfield or Michael Jackson, you can grab your crotch, I guess, but I digress. Anyway, the bottom line is, in 2018, he's got to be smarter than that. As a coach, you can get your players' attention without choking them or doing pull-ups on their face mask. Don't be a dumbo-jumbo. Get with the times. Come on. On the topic of Seattle Seahawk Earl Thomas as a Seahawk, we all know he flipped a bird, which, guys, sort of makes sense if your mascot is a big bird. Anyway, apparently, as you know, Thomas was an off-season holdout looking to keep his body safe while negotiating a long-term deal. Well, he missed several practices, but he decided to be a team player and began this year playing alongside his Seahawk teammates. Well, on Sunday, he broke his leg and was carted off, and while he was being carted off, he waved his middle finger flipping off the entire bench but primarily his coach Chuck Knox many people have defended him basically saying hey look he was emotional he's set to lose a lot of money well you know I got thinking about that guys my first reaction was that it was probably inappropriate on many levels but on second thought perhaps his action may start a new trend It had me thinking, let's go back in Motor City sports history. In 2002, Joey Harrington was selected in the first round by our lovable Lions, and he played 58 electrifying games. And during his career, he threw 79 touchdowns while being intercepted 85 times. Lion fans should have given him the collective finger for all that money we lost. They probably spent it all on the $20 hot dogs that I spent. Anyway, on his way to Miami, Lion owner Henry Ford should have given him the big bird for all that lost money. 
And on the last day of 2005, guys, they should have given all of us Lion fans a cardboard poster for Cardboard Poster Day with a picture of a big middle finger allowing us to wave goodbye to Steve Mariucci, who cost the franchise $25 million. And perhaps two fingers for Matt Millen on his way out. And who could forget Tiger manager Sparky Anderson as he was infamous for grabbing the balls from his pitcher. He could have waved to the bullpen with his middle finger as he was relieving Don Ellis, And he was relieved of $29 million. Goes both ways, guys. In short, I feel bad for Earl Thomas. Uh, all those guys like Earl Thomas in the sporting world, but professional athletes are paid extremely well. An injury is a risk that all of these athletes face. Conversely, owners waste a lot of money, and nobody's going to shed any tears over the owners, are they? When they roll the dice for the likes of Joey Harrington and Matt Millen, and uh, as fans know, we, we know how much beer money we waste drowning our sorrows with another underperforming coach or Detroit athlete. Let's salute all of them right now by raising our Pabst Blue Ribbon and waving with our middle finger. On to the Wolverines, Spartans, and Lions. The Wolverines, they're on track. Go Blue. The Spartans had trouble with the whopping Chippewas up there in Central Michigan, and according to uh, Jerry there, the perfect storm is setting up for him to be depressed on October 20th against Michigan State at East Lansing. As far as our uh, lovable Lions in Dallas, once again, to piss me off, guys, my daughter's boyfriend wore his now-famous I'm Horny t-shirt and showed up 10 minutes past her curfew to drop her off. But I gave him a new t-shirt to wear for the next date, and it's a picture of my neighbor's squirrel after he met my son Jake and his gun at my neighbor's bird feeder, and the caption says, Dead meat. Am I the only Detroit Lion fan who is especially agitated knowing that all of, of all the players, guys, to embarrass the Lions, it had to be a Buckeye? As Ohio State running back Ezekiel Elliott had a fantastic day for Dallas, I'm still trying to sleep at night without nightmares of what he did to my Wolverines, and now he's doing it against the Lions. It's a cruel, cruel world, guys. And finally, last but not least, breaking news following the USA Ryder Cup loss. Allegedly, Dustin Johnson and Brooke Kepka, I guess they're weightlifting roommates or something, they had to be separated in a Ryder Cup. Uh, after party, a Gulf Digest reported this morning, citing a source saying that Paulina Gretzky, DJ's fiance, was a central figure, in quotes, in the incident, and that Kepka's girlfriend was also involved. Hmm, I'll say she has a figure. Go figure. I've not been this excited about golf since Caddyshack when Rodney Dangerfield had a fight with Ted Baxter. As Tiger Wood wins more in 2019, we may have PGA golfers throwing punches while their beautiful wives have a cat fight. Come on, guys. Who does not love two chicks pulling hair and getting nasty? Speaking of nasty, uh, Jackie says dinner's ready and it's her hamburger helper with squirrel meat. Thanks a lot, Jake. Well, as always, good to hear from Jack. Okay, before we wrap up, just want to tell you, don't forget about Corona Public Schools and join their winning team today. Find out why nearly 40% of their students make Corona their school of choice, whether young or old. It's great to be gold. Well, guys, I mean, we got all hyped up about the Lions beating the Patriots. You know, they beat Tom Brady. Matt Patricia got his first win. 
then what do we do? We turn around and say old Lions and lose to the Cowboys. What do you think? Well, I don't know what you guys were thinking if down the tail end of that game, but when Golden Tate scored that touchdown, I just knew there was too much time and the Lions were going to figure out a way to lose, Since especially the Cowboys only needed a field goal. Matt, you probably can relate to this. Do you know what that reminded me of? Just in NCAA football, like when it's basically every time whoever has the ball last, like is going to win. That's where you have to dive down to the ten yard line. If you're <laughs> yep. Like it would never do it, but we all knew what was going to happen there. Without like a doubt. Like if I'm playing, you know, NCAA 14, I'm diving down to the ten yard line. I'm taking up. I'm setting the clock to uh, slow so that it wastes as much time as possible. I'm going uh, run play first down, second down, and I'm going for the end zone on, th- on third down. Like that's the only way we. There's nothing that you can do in an actual like game. To, to simulate that, but we knew well, how that game was going to play out as soon as we saw him score that touchdown. You know, and if the Lions would have somehow picked up that win and they'd finished the first quarter of the season at 2-2, two and two, you know, they might have had some things really uh, moving forward, some momentum. Patricia would have some credibility with the team, that fans would be on board. But at 1-3 and three now, I don't know. We're at that point where uh, it could be tough. I mean, we can go back 2016 line started one and three and ended up making the playoffs. So not, not all hope is lost, but yeah, it, it doesn't look good right now. I mean, Stafford played pretty well on Sunday, but mm-hmm. uh, they just couldn't like put the whole game together. I, I just, I don't know. I don't get it. Well, and I don't get the fact that carry on Johnson, what he rattled off 30, 35 yards, his first carry, and then only gets eight more carries in the game. Now, Patricia didn't have a real good answer as far as I was concerned when he was asked about that. What do you think's going on there? I, I will say that like I, people are pointing to that. Like, did you feel like we had a problem, like kind of moving the ball and putting up points? I felt that they had Blown in there too much. Myself, I, I mean, I, I really think Johnson. He after what he did last week, why aren't you making him the marquee back? Why isn't he the guy in there? And then you bring in, uh, you know, the backups in in key situations, maybe in passing situations or something like that. But why is he not your every down back? I mean, that's how I see it. And I've seen enough of him and saw him play in college. You drafted him to run the damn ball. I mean, you break that streak, you got to have something special. <laughs> right. I think we all can agree. <laughs> no it, doubt. It, it took a lot of guys to try and break that, and he's the one that finally did it. I mean, I don't I don't mind him playing Blount. Put him in short down situations, you know. First and second down, You're I'm, I'm having Johnson in there all the time. Yeah, I'm with you. I feel like he should be the every down back. And then, yeah, bring, bring in Blount when, you know, short yardage or goal line. I mean, even Theo Riddick, I like him in passing. So absolutely, it, they, it just seems like they need. It almost seems like they don't know what who they want to play at certain times or something. I don't know. Well, I mean, it all like it's easy to point and look at that the nitpick, but the big problem here is obviously, and I know it's like probably we've probably heard it all on like Detroit talk radio. It's this rush defense. Wow, is it horrible? I mean, oh, Ezekiel Elliott twenty five rushes for one hundred fifty two yards and a touchdown. Just. That can't happen. Like they were running, he was running rampant over us. I have a more yeah, well, Zeke Elliott had almost three hundred total yards or something like that, like a career day. So yeah, yeah, it's disappointing to see the defense play like that. Big play Slay, Darius Slay had an awesome game. He played well, he but everyone else and eh, not so much. The more important question is, what do you guys think of the unis? I love them. I, I, I like those color rush unis. The thing I hate is why is it like the gray uniforms but the silver helmets? Like it, it's like you know what I mean. It's kind of like the same color but they're not matching. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like, I never you guys thought know what of that. I mean? Do you, I, know what I, do you know what I mean? I know what you're saying. I, I'm okay with it, but I, I agree with Matt on one aspect. I love the uniforms, and I, there were some mixed uh, mixed opinions out there I saw in the Twitter world. 
I like them better than their originals, than like the ones they normally wear. But I just like I said, it just kind of that always kind of like has bothered me how it's the silver helmet with the, like the matte gray. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't match. It does not if match. If they went, if they turn the helmet into like a matte silver helmet, would you like that? I, it's got to be like the same color gray, in my opinion, or like a like a blue, like a completely different color is what I would do, like a Honolulu blue. I don't know. There's a fashion statement. From send, in, send in some, uh, draw something up. Send it into Matt Patricia. <laughs> I will say, like, have you guys ever seen like the concept like jerseys on Twitter? Like the people that draw these up, like they're way better than the actual jerseys that they use. There's some terrible like, ones out there too, the but there are some cool ones. Like I saw one Michigan one where like it was the whole like map outline of the city. Yep. <laughs> Like with maize and blue, oh, and it yeah. was just like it was awful. It looked like something you would create on NCAA football. We were thinking of the same one, Matt. Well, yeah. that was exactly what I was thinking of when I said that. No, like, overall jerseys are okay, but the thing that really made me sick. So right, so I had a bad weekend betting, oh, and I was chasing, I was chasing the rat with with the lions. I, I put money on that, and instead of just taking the three points, I bet the money line. I thought they were going to win, and of course they covered. Like they still covered and they lost. They lo- they lost by two points. Right. So that was very disappointing. Worst case scenario. Speaking of worst case scenario, we before we uh, start running out of time here, we talked about it with Josh, uh, the Earl Thomas situation. Yeah, and all these guys holding out. I mean, basically it's, it was Earl Thomas and Le'Veon Bell. Those were the the main guys. But so Earl Thomas comes back and he ends up getting hurt on Sunday. Uh, he's still he, he's on the final year of his contract, so he didn't get a big deal. And on his way out on the cart, he broke his leg. He flips off. It looked like he was looking at over at the Seahawks sideline at Pete Carroll and everyone and flipped him off on the on the way out. I don't know what you guys thought. I wasn't really a fan of it. I mean, I like Josh was talking about, I definitely understand a guy, you know, looking out for his best interest, for his family's best interest, looking for, you know, to make the money that he thinks he deserves. But, you know, average Americans like us and everything, we're going to look at the amount of money that some of these NFL players make, and, and he's making like 9 or $10 million this year, and we're going to say, you know, hey, man, you're, you're still making good money to play football. You know, you should maybe appreciate that a little bit. And it's not saying he doesn't, but, you know, saying that it was like the Seahawks' fault that he got hurt and flipping him off, you know, the Seahawks didn't tell him to go out there and play, and, you know, they didn't cause the injury, so... So I, I thought that was a little little uh, iffy on him to do that. See, I, I sort of – it was a savage move. Let me say that first off. I mean, you got to kind of respect the balls on him to do it because you know that's probably what a lot of players are thinking, sort of like when an injury like that goes down. But Pete Carroll, uh, he did kind of back him. He said, uh, you know, he's a young kid who he just lost everything. Like, you know, you kind of understand being a little outraged about how everything just kind of happened. But can you – like, I kind of get where he's coming from where he should – he should, first off, he should have sat out like Josh said. Like, he should not have played. But also, the Seahawks would not pay him. And I guess, is there a villain here? Are both of them kind of right in where the Seahawks weren't going to pay him? Because, I mean, you see what happened. He got hurt. So it's like you kind of can't blame him for not paying him. But also, you kind of think it should. Be, it's the right thing to do to sort of give him a long contract for all he's done for your organization. That's where I'm just... Well, I have a pretzel in my brain thinking about it. Well, the thing is, I mean, the, the Seahawks were playing by the rules. He was playing by the rules. Nobody said he had to go play. Um, what if he if he just played out this season and didn't get hurt, he could leave the Seahawks, couldn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's a free agent after this year. So it goes both ways, you know. And I, frankly, my opinion is, I see where you're saying about the ballsy move and all that. Everybody knows what a player would be thinking in that situation, but to me, it shows no class. I mean, it's it's a classless move to flip off anybody on national television, for God's sake. It just is. That's, that's how I look at it. 
Yeah, I mean, that, I can, like we said, we can see it go both ways, and I, I'm definitely with you, Ted. I don't think he should have done that. I mean, have those feelings, but maybe ride off to the locker room and then, then maybe let those frustrations out there or, or, you know, talk to Pete Carroll after the game and yell at him and say, this is bullshit and all right. that kind of stuff, you know. But, yeah, to do that on national TV in front of everyone, I don't know, maybe that's not good. But I, I can see where Earl Thomas is coming from because, like I said, he's making like 9 or $10 million this year, which is, I think I saw it's the sixth most among safeties in the NFL. And when he's, when he's right, when he's healthy, he's maybe the best safety in the NFL. So, so he's looking at it as like, you know, he should be getting paid market value. And, you know, which, which he's right, he should be. So, so there is that side to it. But, you know, you can get injured just walking down the street or you can get injured when you're weightlifting or practicing. So you have no idea that when, when something like this is going to happen. Well, maybe he needs a new agent. All right, boys, another show in the can. That'll do it for now. Just to all our listeners out there, share this three-point podcast with all your friends. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, SoundCloud, or TuneIn. Give us a rating and fire off a comment on our podcast page. Don't forget you can follow us and comment on Twitter. That's at 3PointPod. Email us at 3PointPod at gmail.com. And, again, thanks to the Corona Public Schools, Rivals Tap House and Grill, the Corona Connection, and Z92.5, the castle. We want to... Thank our special guest that joined us tonight, Josh Parcell. Did a great job. A lot of good stuff there. Look forward to talking with him down the road. And again, this has been a Sportsnet Michigan production. Until next time, thanks for listening to Three Point Podcast.